Well, good morning, everyone. I am officially a part of the Minivan Owners Club. Anyone with me? That will admit, did I hear some boos? <laughs> That's not good. Um, yes, we own a minivan now, which is like stamping my adulthood, which is kind of weird. But one of our pastors, Tom Goodlett, uh, who leads Connect Groups and a bunch of other things, he was telling me that he calls his the man van. He's worried that it's going to hurt his manhood. And I'm like, Tom, you got a lot more to worry about than your minivan, buddy, you know? <laughs> but got the microphone today. Um, so... But it was an interesting scenario. I mean, I'm, I've owned the car that I had to trade in since I was a junior in high school, 12 years. And it was like I was breaking up with my longtime girlfriend, you know, having to hand the keys back in and get rid of the car that I've had so many memories with. And Heather and I were talking about all the memories as I'm, as I'm turning into the dealership. And uh, it, was, it was interesting. But there's one, there was one memory that stands out above all the rest. And of course, it's negative. And of course, it was my only serious accident that I've ever been in in that car. And so I want to tell you what happened with this. So I used to work off of Curlew in 19, and I was on my way home from work one day, and I was turning right on Curlew to go towards 19. And there was an SUV in front of me that was turning left across the three lanes of traffic to go to McMullen Booth. They were being very brave, and I was right behind them. So they start going. And then I inch up because I'm in a hurry. I'm ready to go. I'm not a patient pastor always, so I'm ready, ready to go. And as they're going into the middle of Curlew, they come to a complete stop right in the middle of the, the lanes. So I'm looking at this like, what is about to happen? And then I see the reverse lights come on. Yeah, they put, they put the reverse lights on in the middle of, the, of Curlew, and they whip it back and smash the front left side of my car to pieces. It was the dumbest piece of driving I have ever seen in my life. And I'll tell you, there are, there are some times where it's really hard to be a pastor and not to say certain words that come to your mind and the spirit of self-control. So I was nice, and, uh, but it gets better. The people in the car, there's three women, and the driver, uh, um, that, was, that was not a, not a. We're going we're gonna to start that over. It was three people driving, and so the woman driving was, tw- that was bad. There was 20, it was a 22-year-old, and she was pregnant driving, right? And then the person in the passenger seat was the mom, and in the back seat was their 82-year-old grandmother who rides in a wheelchair, (laughs) and she's doing this. She'd just gotten her license back a week ago from being suspended. I mean, it was a complete train wreck. They got out, and they're like, oh, don't tell anyone. Don't call the cops. We don't have insurance, and it just, yes, thank you. It was ridiculous. It was so unbelievable, and I'm entered into this situation that I'm just not ready for, and I'm not looking for. I want to get home and see my family, and it was just so unpredictable. Stress and anxiety, and you can imagine what's coming into my world right there, right? And I've noticed, and you can probably relate to this, that life tends to do that, doesn't it? Tends to bring unwanted circumstances and situations that we weren't asking for, and that we weren't ready for, that we want to have no business being a part of our lives. And it leads to stress and anxiety and and chaos and turmoil in our lives. 
Life tends to throw us curveballs, doesn't it, that we just aren't ready for. Some are small, some are big, but we know that life is full of ups and downs. It's full of twists and turns, and oftentimes it throws circumstances at us that we just simply wish we did not have to deal with. And my question for you today is this, is that in the midst of a life that leads us into so much chaos, what is the constant? In a life full of ups and downs and twists and turns and unpredictable situations that leave more question marks than answers, what is the constant in the midst of our chaos in life? Well, that leads me to this man named Elijah. And if there was ever an Old Testament hero, Elijah is the man. He is a legend of the faith. I consider him the Michael Jordan of prophets. I mean, he is unforgettable. If you've ever read his stories or heard about him, he has some of the most dynamic ministry opportunities that he was able to be a part of. And he's kind of like this mountain man. He dresses differently. He's just a different kind of dude. And he shows up on the scene in 1 Kings 17, and he's telling this evil king what's about to happen. And he's just so direct and brash in ministry. He's truly a legend. And in 1 Kings 17, this miracle happens. Elijah is staying with this widow that God leads him to. And she has a, a young son, and the son ends up dying. And the woman's looking at Elijah like, what did you just bring into my, my world and my life? And Elijah takes this young man, and he lays him down, and he prays over him. And the Bible says that the Lord heard the prayers of Elijah and brought this young boy back to life. Chapter 1 of Elijah's story, he is doing miracles. He is bringing people back to life. He's a legend. Then you go to chapter 18, and we see the most epic showdown of, of all time. And you can talk about Ali versus Frazier all you want. You can talk about Batman versus Superman, right? You can talk about Trump versus Hillary, which we're not going to go there either. Uh, but this showdown... In chapter 18 of 1 Kings is just unbelievable. And you got to understand, when, when Elijah becomes a prophet, he's stepping into the most evil time in Israel, the nation's history. The king at the time is Ahab. And what Ahab did, he's leading people to not worship God, but to worship the Baal, who's a, who's a false god. And the Bible says he did more evil as a king than any king before him. And he did more to provoke the anger of the Lord than any of the kings that came prior to Ahab. And you probably heard of his wife, Jezebel. Jezebel was known for finding out who was still following God and either killing them or sending them out of Israel. And so at this time, when Elijah is the one prophet left, there's only 7,000 people continuing to follow God. And many of them are being killed, and the others are hiding out in caves, scared for their life. And so Elijah, because he's so legendary, the Michael Jordan of prophets, he, he steps up and he challenges these prophets of Baal to a showdown. Now Ahab, he had created this temple of worship to Baal to signify who Israel's going to worship. And they used to have worship services with prostitution, and they had uh, times where they would sacrifice sometimes the firstborn child of, in someone's family to worship this God. 
and they set up a temple. And Elijah said, we're done with this. We're going to have a showdown to see whose God is real. We're going to see if Baal is real or we are going to see if God, uh, the God of Israel is the one who is real. And so here's what he does. He sets it up. He invites the whole nation of Israel. And I want you to just envision Raymond James Stadium is packed with these Israelites. And down on the field, you've got Elijah, the one man of God. And you've got 450 prophets of Baal that are pushed by the king and the queen, supported by the nation of Israel, going against Elijah. And so Elijah says, we're going to set up two altars, with, put animals on them, and you're going to call on your God, and I'm going to call on mine. And the one that brings fire from heaven will show us who the true God is. And you've got to remember, too, Baal is the God of the sun, He's depicted with this lightning bolt in his hand. So if there's anything that Baal can do, it's bring fire, right, onto this altar. And so Elijah sets it up. And then he lets him go first. And I love this because it's like Elijah goes and he sits in his lounge chair. He's got his Pepsi. He's hanging out. And guys, this is is for you. I'm getting in trouble with the women today. But in chapter 18, if you want to prove that sarcasm is acceptable in the Bible, this is it. If you want to do a devotional with your family later... Elijah, Elijah starts making fun of the Baal prophets. He starts saying, well, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's watching Netflix. He's not doing anything, right? And they're calling on him hour after hour after hour. They're calling on Baal to bring fire and nothing happens. They end up cutting their arms and bleeding for Baal to show up in silence. And then Elijah steps up. It's my turn. Elijah stands up, he takes 12 stones to represent the tribes of Israel, and he lays them around, and he fills up around the altar with water, and and then he steps up and he prays to God. He said, God, Israel's watching. Reveal yourself that you are the true God of Israel. Show them your glory now. And in that moment, fire from heaven comes down, lights up the altar like the 4th of July, God shows up, reveals himself that Baal is false and I'm the real God. And then the nation of Israel in the stadium, just sitting watching, realizes in that moment, we've been following the wrong God. And through one man's prayer, one man's boldness for the Lord, he reveals that this is the God of Israel. This is the God that we follow. This is what you've been missing And so then he leads the Israelites who become aware of what they're doing. He says, gather all the prophets, 450 of them, bring them back, and we're going to kill them. To signify that Elijah's made it happen. So where all the evil in the nation of Israel is gone, we're going to serve and love the God who loves us and did all these things for us. And Elijah is riding high with God. I mean, you mean to tell me this is a powerful experience and moment with God. His mission, his mission is happening. He's in a great place with God. God is showing up and revealing himself. Everything is going well for Elijah. And then chapter 19 happens. And then life hits Elijah a little bit. And James, in the New Testament, in his book, in chapter 5, he uses Elijah as a reference, as an analogy. And I think he puts it perfectly for us. In chapter 5, he says this. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. 
You see, we have this legend of faith who did unbelievable things for God. But he lived, he lived in the same world that you and I live in. He lived in a world that was up and down, unpredictable, that brings chaos into our lives that we aren't expecting, that we didn't ask for. Elijah is a man just like you and me. And we pick up his story in 1 Kings 19, verse 1, and we see as he returns to the kingdom, he receives this message. And it says this, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel reacts and sends a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And Jezebel sends this message. Elijah is in a great, effective place with God. Things are running smoothly. And then Jezebel hears about it. She says, I'm going to take your life because of what you've done. He receives this message that he wasn't expecting. And how many of us in the room have received a Jezebel-like message in our lives? We'd worked out life to be comfortable and going well and in a good place. And then all of a sudden, in an instant, life throws something at you that you didn't have the answers for. That you weren't wanting to be a part of your story in your life. This, this relationship is over. I'm moving on. I don't, I don't love you anymore. You, you didn't get into the school that you worked so hard to get into. You have to do something else. You, you no longer work here anymore in this career path you've been taking and all the hard work you've put in to provide for your family is no longer happening. We don't need your services anymore. You're fired. You've been waiting to have children your entire life and you can't get pregnant. And there's nothing we can do to help you. Or, or, or maybe you did get pregnant and, and then you lost the baby and you had a miscarriage. And life throws things at us that we aren't ready for, that brings chaos and unexpected things and circumstances that we wish never would have happened to us. And you see, Elijah finds himself there. And you think he, he's a legend of faith. I mean, he's seen God show up with fire from heaven and bringing children back to life through his prayers. And if anyone can handle this, this message, this unexpected thing, it's, it's Elijah. And listen to what happens in his story, his response. In verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. He just takes off and runs. And then he went to, came to Beersheba in Judah and then he leaves his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came to this broom bush, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. Now listen to this next verse. Oftentimes we don't get to sense the emotion of the characters of the Bible. Listen to the words of Elijah to his God. He said, I have had enough, God. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Elijah receives this unexpected message that he's not ready for. And it leaves him with more questions than answers in his life. And this legend of faith all of a sudden turns into this coward 
running away from his problems and his issues and in some ways his God. He's, he's gripped with fear. Life hits him and he's just gripped with fear. And not only that, he runs away and leaves those closest to him behind and he isolates himself and he's just fixated on the problems that he's facing and he's struggling with and it's overwhelming him. And I hear Elijah just saying, God, this is too much. God, I'm overwhelmed. It's, it's too hard. Why is this my story? Why is this, why does this have to be a part of my life? Why now? Why is this going on here? I don't even know where to go. I'm overwhelmed and God, I quit. I'm done. It's too hard. This was not supposed to be a part of my story. And this legend of faith is at his lowest point, his most humble point. And he's calling out to God. He's saying, God, I quit. I'm I'm done with this. He's filled with this chaos. And what's the constant? What's the constant for Elijah? And so how did Elijah go from legend of faith to this coward? Well, I think it's this, and you can write this in your bulletins if you want, but Elijah became more focused on his problems, how big his problems were, than how big his God was. Elijah became fixated on the thing that came into his life, the circumstances, the situation that led him to this place of fear and being overwhelmed. And all he could see was how big the issue at hand was. And you notice he forgets how big his God was. Chapter 19 is is the first place in Elijah's story where he doesn't call on God for help. All we see in his conversation with God is how hard it is and I quit and I give up and he never once says God would you just show up and help me you see when you and I are gripped with fear when when fear sets in and overwhelms us and we don't know where to turn and our life feels like chaos and it's unpredictable and we don't know what to do I think I think there's two dangers that that creep into our lives and the first one is this is that we start to question God's involvement in our lives when fear sets in, we start to ask God, are you present with me? Are you close to me in, in, in this chaotic circumstance that is overwhelming my life? God, do you even care? Are you still with me in this? Why would you let this happen? Where do I go from here? And we start to wonder if God's love really translates to the life that we live in. Number two, we, we start to question our faith. And they're, they're both intertwined, but we start to wonder, am I capable of handling this? Am I strong enough? Is God going to help me f- overcome this? Do I do it on my own? What, where do I turn? Can I trust him? And it leads, this fear leads to isolation and separation from our God and our faith. And, and as I was reading this, I started, I was highly anticipating, what's God's answer? This, this man of faith that we just wish we could uh, attain to and become more like him is led into this cowardly state of running away from his life and running away from his God. And, and I just wanted to know, what's God's answer? In the midst of chaos and when life throws you into a tailspin and your mind is filled with chaos, what is the constant? And what did God lead Elijah to? So it's interesting what happens is that God sends an angel out into the desert. And I love this. 
because some of us need to hear this today, is that none of us are fast enough to run away from God. He ran a day's journey into the desert. He isolated himself and he's just fixated on his fear and what grips him and what holds him down. And God chases him down and he catches up to him. The psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go where you don't see me? And God tells Elijah, I'm catching up to you and we're going to face this. So an angel shows up, gives him some food, and then he gives him some direction. And that leads us to to verse 8 in chapter 19. It says, so Elijah got up, he ate and he drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, many people believe this is the same mountain where Moses got the Ten Commandments and talked with God. It was called Mount Sinai there, called Mount Horeb here. Most people believe that. So there he went, and listen to this, into a cave, his cave of isolation, his cave of of fear, his cave of chaos, of question marks, and he spent the night. And then God, the word of the Lord came to him. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And listen to how Elijah responds. He goes, I've been very zealous for you, God. The Israelites have rejected your promises, your covenant. They, they tore down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Do you notice this? Elijah's fixated on his problems. His problem has become so big, he's speaking to the God that just brought fire and brought this boy back to life as if God doesn't understand, as if God doesn't see and feel what he's going through and he's fixated on the issues that face him that has led to this chaos. And listen to what God says. He says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Don't miss this. As Elijah is fixated on his problems and his fear and his anxiety and his stress, as he's fixated on his problems, God wants to lead him into his presence. As he is gripped with the fear that faces him, not having the answers to his questions, God says, the constant in your chaos is my presence. It's being present with with me, your God who loves you and wants to reveal himself to you. But then God does something kind of radical. He reveals his presence in in a really strange way. And it says this as we continue. It says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. And the Lord was not in the earthquake. And it continues. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then after the fire came a gentle whisper. God God reveals his presence with Elijah in a gentle whisper. As he's fixated on his problems, God leads him into his presence and he he whispers. And why? Why? It reminds me of, of me and my daughter, Harper, my oldest, have this thing that we just started doing I'll, where I'll call her over and I'll lean down and she knows what's happening. I say, Harper, come here, come here. I have a secret for you. And she gets all excited because it's special. And she, she walks over and she kind of sneaks up like this. And, and I go, Harper, you're awesome. 
And she just giggles and smiles and runs away like it was this really special moment. And it made me think of this because that is an intimate, personal moment between her and her father. And in the midst of Elijah's chaos, Elijah doesn't need fire from heaven. He doesn't need an earthquake and the wind that shakes mountains. What God leads him to experience is a gentle whisper into his presence to show Elijah that Elijah, in the midst of your chaos, you are not alone. You're not walking through this chaos alone. It may be hard and overwhelming and you don't have all the answers, but just realize that I am your God and I am with you. And he shows Elijah that he has a personal, relational heavenly father that cannot wait to reveal his presence. And what it shows us is that the most powerful thing God can provide is his presence. You see, how many of us in the midst of our problems that face us, that become bigger than our God? How often do we look at God and we want fire and we want an earthquake and we want God to come in and make it better and fix it and make it all good again? And God's going, I've got something more powerful for you. And it is my presence. The most powerful thing God can provide us in the midst of your chaos, the constant in our chaos, when life throws something at you that you are not ready for, the most powerful thing is the presence of God. You notice in that story, the thing that draws Elijah out of the cave, it's not the fire, it's not the wind, it's not the earthquake. It's the whisper of his father saying, Elijah, I am here with you. See, you can see this all throughout scriptures. You can see it in, in different things with Joshua. Joshua 1.9. He tells them to be strong and courageous as you're leading Israel and facing these armies. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged for the Lord will be with you. And then Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear for I, your God, am with you. I am close to you. I am relational. I love you. I am always with you. You can't run far away enough from me to be away from my presence. And what God promises you and me doesn't promise to fix the problems that become so big and that are unexpected in life. The constant that he provides is his presence. And what does that mean for you and me? How does that work with us? It takes me to, to Matthew 28 when Jesus was speaking to his disciples right before he ascends into heaven and leaves them. He says, I have something that I'm leaving behind better for you. And he said, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And what Jesus promised his disciples is that the Holy Spirit will come into those who believe in Jesus who want to follow God and will be present with us at every moment and every instance of our lives, that God will deposit himself to ensure that he lets us know how personal and relational he is, that he is attainable and that we can be in his presence at any and every moment that we choose to seek him. And the Holy Spirit, for those who believe, is the constant presence of God in the midst of your chaos. 
And so before we finish, I want to give you four ways in which the Spirit reveals the presence of God. Because I don't want this just to be an idea. Elijah didn't need the power of God. He needed the presence of God. And I want to help us be hungry for more of the presence of God. Some of us have been wanting God to come down and fix it. And God wants to whisper into your heart and your mind right in this moment. Just value my presence. Above all else, seek my presence in the midst of your chaos. Your problems are not bigger than your God. And so the Holy Spirit leads us to experience these things. So the Spirit reminds us of truth. When chaos happens and we start questioning our faith in our God, He reminds us that our God loves us, our God created us, our God cares for us, He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He is constantly available to every single one of us. Number two is He brings us peace. In the midst of your chaos, in the midst of your cancer diagnosis, and I can't have children, and what does my future look like? Are we going to have to uproot our family, and why does the job look like this in my future? He doesn't promise to, to fix it all. He says, you can find peace in my presence through the chaos. And thirdly, he convicts us of our sin. Unfortunately, sometimes we make decisions that brings the chaos into our own lives, don't we? And creates drama and stress and anxiety and, and the Spirit convicts us and pulls us away from that path and brings us back to the path of God which leads into His presence. And lastly, number four, He helps us pray. The Spirit leads you in the midst of chaos into a conversation with your heavenly Father to realize and to remember that you have a God who is personal and relational. The most powerful thing he can provide is his presence. And so what does that look like tomorrow? When you go back into your world and your lives, maybe on the way to work, it's, stop, it's stopping and turning the radio off and, and seeking the presence of God, and calling on him to show up and reveal himself. When you feel separate from him, when chaos takes over and you're overwhelmed with fear and anxiety and stress and struggles, you call on the presence of God to bring you peace, to remind you of truth, to convict you and to help you have a conversation with your God. And maybe for some of us, we should be hoping less for the earthquakes and the fires to come down and just to experience the presence of our Father. But before we leave today, I want to, I don't want this just to be an idea. I don't want it just to be words. And so we're going to bring two of our worship leaders back. And I want to give you a chance as we sing this song and I'm going to pray in the middle of it. And I want to give you the chance both individually and together as a church to invite the presence of God into this room today. That none of us would leave the room without calling on the power of the presence of our God, that we would experience it now. And so you can stay seated, you can stand, you can get on your knees, you can pray, you can sing along, whatever it means to you. We're gonna give you the opportunity to call, not on your problems to be fixed, but to be drawn into the presence of your God. Father, 
in this moment all that we desire in the midst of a life filled with chaos that is so unpredictable that throws us into places that we're not ready for. God, right in this moment, would you help us experience your presence? Would you remind us that you are close to us and the most powerful thing that you can provide is your presence in our lives. So God, we call on your spirit. We call on you now to show up in Jesus' name. Amen. God, some of us have been hoping that you would bring the fire, bring the earthquake and make things right and pull us out of of our chaos. But God, in this moment, would you remind us of your truth? That you are a God who is so personal and so relational and so real. You are not far from us. Even when we run away from you, God, you are near to us. Remind us of your truth. God, Would you bring us to a place of peace in the midst of whatever chaos we are experiencing or have experienced in our lives? Would you help us find peace in your presence in the midst of that? God, whatever is pulling us away from you, convict us to return back to your ways, to seek out your will for our lives, to call upon you, to guide us and lead us. God, would you help us know how to pray? Would you help us know how to have a conversation with our God to experience more of you, to be more in your presence, to value the presence of God over the provisions of God. Father, the most powerful thing you provide is your presence. And right in this moment, would you help us experience it as we call on you? Amen. that in the room this is peace (laughs) where the holy spirit goes and where his presence is there is peace we take everything that we hold control of lord the chaos and we exchange it for your peace we breathe it in (laughs) yes let us become more aware of your presence let us Glory of your goodness, let us become.
fill our hands with your presence and with your peace. And Holy Spirit, you are powerful thing God can provide is his presence. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we close. We're going to bring our prayer partners forward. My hope for us today is that we would leave the room knowing that our God is bigger than the problems that we face. The way we face the chaos and the life that you walk back into when you leave this building is to seek and experience the presence of our God. And I hope that you are hungry to do that this week. Have a wonderful week.